Praise the Lord. It's been such a pleasure for me to be here in a church which is a heart for my country and has been extending their help in the last few months. Many of you would have seen the ambulance that have been donated. I'm not going to talk anything more because the message has already been conveyed. And if there is anything that anybody wants to learn more about or know more about the mission that we are doing there, can contact Brother George here, um, who is actually the instrument in bringing this to pass. So <clears throat> let me earnestly once again say I'm thankful for inviting me to stand here before you, thank the pastor and the believers of this church for giving me an opportunity to uh, speak from the word of God <clears throat> and to share my testimony in brief. <clears throat> Many of you know that India is a very vast country with a population of 1.2 billion. And being a big country, I must also add that it is the center for all probably an international headquarters for all idol worship. You have heard that 70% and more of the population are from a, follow a religion called Hinduism, who believe in pantheism and the multiplicity of gods. And in India, the definition of a Hindu is, if you are not a Christian or a Muslim, you are a Hindu. So you can do anything, worship anything, you can even worship yourself, and you are included in that group. Stanley Jones, one of the greatest missionaries who came to India at the time of our independence, he was, he writes in his, one of his books that he was taken aback when he came to India when people told that we are all gods. And he wrote like this, when I heard that, I felt like saying to that man who told me that, if a beggar comes to our house and begs for food, if you tell him, you beg for food, you are food. How will he respond to that? People search for God and the answer they get is, you are God. So he says, I'm really surprised at the mindset of the people. He writes so in a book like that. So that's a brief description about Hinduism because I come from a family of Hindus. Hindus are divided into so many caste systems and I happen to belong to one of the higher caste society. Till I joined my medical school, I had no idea about Christi what Christianity is all about. Not bothered. Only going through our ritual Hindu customs in our family. But it so happens that in the year 1966, 44 years from now, when I was in the second year of my medical school, as I was passing through one of the streets of my city, I saw a notes board which said, Gospel meeting, all are welcome. I was curious because 
I have never been to a gospel meeting. I never knew what it, what it is, what it means to be a gospel meeting, what will happen there, nothing I know. <clears throat> but just out of curiosity, I stepped in there, just to know what's a gospel meeting. Because I didn't have much work to do that night, so I thought I'll enter there. Actually, the meeting was in a house. And inside the house, mats were laid and people were sitting there and singing songs. Outside, they have put some chairs. Nobody was there in the chair. People were coming in and getting inside. Being a new place, I thought I won't go and sit there. It looked very strange to me. So I sat in one of the chairs just to know what's happening. As I sat there, the pastor came. I still remember him looking at his watch and telling, we have five more minutes to start the meeting. We will start praying for the blessing of the meeting. The moment he said, let us pray, everybody went on their knees and started saying, praise the Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That looked very strange to me because I had never been exposed to hallelujahs before. So I put my head just inside to see which God, which God. There was no God at all, no images. Being born and brought up in a family where we worship before idols. We stand, we sit, we lie down, we do all sorts of acrobatics before gods and worship gods. But here I don't see any God any image that made it all more funny to me. I said, what's these people doing? There's nothing here. And they are just shouting something. Same thing they are repeating. So actually I would have got away. But then, <clears throat> being brought up in a very disciplined family, when my father used to take me to the temples, he used to warn me, when you sit before God, be it any God, Sit with reverence. Otherwise, the gods will come and disturb you in the night. They will take your eyes out and all. He used to threaten me. And some of our gods are so, you know, uh, prepared to take out your eyes and all with all knives and blades and whatnot. So that has created an impression. I thought, whatever it is, I have come here. And that man said, we are going to pray for five minutes. So let me sit for some time five minutes and then walk away. I thought it's not good to walk away in the midst of the prayer. So I just sat there looking at my watch, five minutes, seven minutes. We all know, hallelujahs, when they start, they don't stop. They go on and on. <laughs> so it went on and on. I thought, that's it, I am getting out. And I just as I was beginning to walk out, even this moment, I do not know why this happened, how this happens. A very crystal clear voice right into my heart. My son, you thought you were better than these people. I was wondering where from the voice came. I looked at the people, they were continuing their hallelujahs. And I do not know who is talking to me. Something inside me was telling, run for your life, don't stay here. I would have run away. If God had not spoken for a second time, immediately the second voice came. These people are happy because they are my people. You know, it struck a chord in my brain 
just minutes before. I was just thinking what these fellows are praying, why they look so happy. It just went on in my mind. And here I see somebody answering me. That's what made me sit there. I thought, what is this? What sort of a place is this? I'm hearing voices. And I thought I'll hear more voices. I decided to sit there. I was really scared. So I sat there thinking that I'll be hearing more. But what happened was the meeting started. People started singing and worshipping. Somebody came to preach. I was sitting there all the time. Honestly, I tell you, I did not know one word of what they preached there that night. It all went over my head. I was sitting dumbfounded, waiting to hear something. There I was thinking, Lord, 18 years of my life, I had worshipped before different types of God. Males, females, God with one head, ten heads, two hands, 24 hands, riding on a tiger or riding, sitting on an elephant. All sorts of funny gods I worshipped, sitting, standing, everything. But never I had a chance in my life to feel this. So I was just dumbfounded. I said, what sort of place is this? But as I was thinking, the meeting was over. It's almost a small meeting, one hour. It was over. And the pastor came. He wanted to <clears throat> shake hands with the people who have come. And as he came to me, he asked my name. I told him, I'm so-and-so. I'm studying in a medical school. Then I said, I want to ask you something. The pastor said, please sit here. I will dismiss all the people and then come to you. He came to me and then he asked, now tell me. I said, sir, I looked at your board and came. I don't know what sort of a meeting you have. But when I came here and sat, I heard this voice. The pastor's eyes started bulging. He said, you heard voice? And I want to know which God you are worshipping. The pastor gave a big smile and said, I understand why you are asking that. Because you are not seeing any gods here. He started like this. We worship Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said God is a spirit. So that's why we don't see with our human eyes. And he said it's such a great privilege. Even most of us don't hear God speaking like that. And if you have heard that voice. It is from Jesus because it is Jesus whom we are worshipping. And he started narrating to me the gospel in a very capsule form, in about 15-20 minutes, who Jesus was, why he came to this world, and what, is, what was his mission, and what are we expected to do. All that, in a nutshell, he was giving the gospel. I tell you, I didn't ask him any more questions. Because I stopped with asking which God you are worshipping, and the way he presented you know, I was absorbing all that he said like a sponge because God had already prepared my heart. Something told, there is a power here. There is a God here who knows the inner thoughts of your mind. He wants to communicate to you. All that was there already in my mind. When the pastor put Jesus in that place, I said, that's it. And the pastor ended asking if God... Jesus is willing to speak to you. He may have a special purpose for you in your life. Are you willing to follow him? I said yes. I prayed the prayer with him. And came back receiving the Lord Jesus Christ in my heart. That was, 
Praise the Lord. That was 44 years ago. I completed my medical school, got my degrees, everything after that. But all through, I was so overwhelmed by the one fact that when I was sitting among some poor people in my town, God was there in their midst. That thought never went away from my mind. I said, Lord, after I finish my studies, I'll work with the poor people. That was my decision. And so, <clears throat> when I started my career, I was looking for avenues where I can use my education and my calling to be in the midst of some poor people. So, that's how my ministry started from 1990. I'm a physician. My wife is a gynecologist. We have three girl children and one boy. And we all moved to a place where some of the poorest people live in our society and start working among them. So you have seen the hospital and all. I'm not going to elaborate on that. Actually, I never come for fundraising any time in my life, honestly. And all these years, God has been so faithful that amongst the poorest community where we have worked, we have been practicing animism, that is a religion, they worship only their ancestral spirits. We now have a church of more than 450 believers from that community. We do some help, education, medical help, and all that to cater to this community. And God has been leading us in a wonderful way. And I'm once again thankful to you for your uh, listening and uh, being of help to this community. And I'm sure whatever you have extended already and extending now will be a great asset to you in your church and in your community. And I pray that God bless the hands that have been supporting us. With that introduction, <clears throat> I'll take a few minutes and talk on a small passage from the scriptures. I must tell you, I am not a theologian. In fact, I did not even study in a Sunday school. I never had the opportunity. But what I learned in my experience and what I learned from the servants of God and what the Holy Spirit taught to me, I speak. And when people invite me to speak, I go only with one idea, that they will pray for me and my ministry. The last 30 years I could stand in the Lord's ministry because of the prayers of people like you. And that's the only reason. So if you see me an unconventional preacher, please excuse me. Um, I am... Of course, I've been ordained by Assemblies of God Church as a pastor, even without a Sunday school knowledge. But still, I hope whatever uh, we, we together meditate on this word will be a blessing to us. I took the passage from the most familiar portion of the scriptures, Psalm 23. The fifth verse, <clears throat> the later portion of the fifth verse, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. If you read and meditate and ponder on Psalm 23, we feel at any time in our life, 
under any circumstances, under any you know, duress or difficult situations, there is always a word of comfort to us in that psalm. A great psychiatrist once told, if only people can believe in Psalm 23, most of our psychiatric hospitals can be closed down. And when we see the good shepherd dealing the sheep in green pastures, taking it beside the still waters, restoring the soul, leading in the paths of righteousness, walking through, when they go through the valley of the shadow of death, preparing a table before the enemies, anointing the head with oil, all that sounds great, but what I want to impress this morning is, it doesn't end saying, your cup will be full. It says, your cup will run over. You should overflow. That is the purpose of the good shepherd leading a sheep. Of course, he wants to cater to all their needs, but he also wants to add, I am doing all these things, not just to fill your cup, but that your cup will overflow. You know, in John's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus said, on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said, Come unto me, all ye that thirst. Come and drink. That's a very good invitation. We go to the Lord when we thirst, when we have problems, when we have something that the Lord should address to us. We go to him with expectation. And we are sure many times we have gone there, thirsting, hungering, de desiring for something, and God has filled us up. But that is only one portion that Jesus said. Many of us stop there. We get our needs addressed. And then we go back home only to come back to him when we have some more needs. But Jesus said, if you watch that word, come unto me and drink. He didn't stop there. He said, whosoever believeth on me, out of his belly should flow rivers of living water. If you carefully read that word, scrutinize that word, Lord Jesus is giving a definition of a believer. When he says, whosoever believeth, that means the Lord is telling, if I want to call you a believer, if you really deserve the name a believer, I should see something in you. Out of your life should flow living water. You should be a source of blessing to other people. When do we call ourselves believers? We come to the church regularly. We get our names in the church register. Or somebody says that, oh, you attend every Sunday worship regularly. You pay tithes and what not. We, co we consider ourselves as believers. Okay. But if the Lord wants to consider ourselves as a believer, he must see one thing in our life. Out of our life should flow rivers of living water. We should be a blessing to other people. You know, if you study the civilizations of the world, all civilizations have developed around river sources. 
the ancient civilization like Mesopotamian civilization they call Sumerian civilization and in our own country Indus Valley civilization all civilizations have developed over running waters rivers perennially flowing rivers if there is a flowing water a civilization develops so what the Lord wants is when you come to me and receive your blessings go back be a source of living water let a believing community develop around you. Let a living community develop around you. You have the potential for that. So these are the two things, two sides of the coin. We come to Jesus thirsting, hungering to get our needs addressed to. That's what we want. But Jesus looks at the other side of the coin. You go back as rivers of living water. Wherever you are planted, you flourish and develop a living community around you. Share this living water to other people also. When we just ponder on that passage once again, we will find, see, compared to the Lord, when we come to him with our needs, see, a great God, in front of him we go with our small needs. It is just like a dust in the whole universe. If you consider what are we in Minnesota itself, we are so small. If you consider in the country of America, we are just nothing like a particle. If you look who we are in a universe, we may look still smaller. But if you stand before a God who created the universe with his words, how small we will be. And then we have needs, we think they are the great needs. For the Lord is nothing. Our needs are nothing in front of this great God. But all our life, we are always preoccupied with our needs. Lord, put something in me. Put something in me. Put something in me. I have so much need. But when the Lord looks at us, He says, what need? You need to eat only three times a day. Put only one pair of clothes. Lie down only on one mattress. That's all you need. You know how great I am. I can easily fulfill your needs. People are, you know, everybody is concerned that Lord put inside me something, put inside me something. God will laugh at us and say, if I put more, you may probably burst out. You know, if we just take an example, if you take, we are a glass like that. And probably it may hold 300 milliliters of water. Suppose we go on asking, fill me, fill me, fill me, so that I don't overflow, but I have to have more and more and more and more. You have the one, the whole Pacific Ocean to be inside it. What will God think? Hey, you will burst out. If somebody pours, I mean, blows out air in a balloon, some children, you know, they want it bigger, 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 poof, it goes off. So if you go on asking God, Lord, put inside me, put inside me, put inside me, God will say, already you are filled. What else you want? But God looks at the other side and trying to get our attention. Will you stop a minute? You can hold only this much. But if you decide to overflow, there is no limit at all. If a glass stands and says, not filling, I want to overflow, there is no limit at all. 
You can go on overflowing. Billions of gallons. God looks at each life like that. You come for a filling to me. Okay, get filled. But understand, if you decide to stand and overflow, there is no limit to it. Many of us are aware of George Over, the founder of Operation Mobilization. One man, and he said, Lord, I want to fill the whole world with your scriptures. God gave him three ships. And one man, for the last so many decades, is saturating the entire planet, wherever his ships could go, and into the interior with God's word. One man. One David Livingston could go into Africa. And today, churches are growing much faster in Africa than any other continent. One man. If one person decides and says, Lord, I want to overflow. I want to share your message. I want to a blessing to other people. God says, that's what I expect. Just you are feeling nothing. Your life's comforts, nothing. That's what most people want. But if you decide to overflow, out of your belly should flow rivers of living water. It will just like that go. There is no end to that. Because as long as you are connected to the eternal source of living water, never a time will come, the Lord will say, oh, you had enough, overflowed enough, that's it, I'm stopping. No. For our needs, there may be a limit. But our overflowing, there is no limit. God wants to look at our lives like that. You are a vessel. You can get only this much. That's enough for you. But if you decide to overflow, there is no limit. And I can make you overflow. And here again a point that we can understand. Sometimes we feel so small. We feel that God has given gifts to so many people. They can preach, they can talk, they can sing. They can do 101 things which we cannot do. We think we are ordinary small believers. But God says, okay, you may be a small cup. Next to you may be a jug or a mug or a keg or a barrel or whatever it is. But you know, in sizes, they may be different, but when they decide to overflow, everything can do the same. A small cup can as much overflow as a big barrel. So that again puts a little more comfort in our mind. Lord, even if I can't hold that much, I can overflow as much as a big vessel. That is God's point of view. He's looking at us and wanting to tell you, know your potential. Just come to me when you want some needs. That's nothing. But when you decide to overflow, you have a great potential. You can just overflow. The third lesson probably that we have to ponder on it is, if you have your vessel alone filled and keep it for some time, you know, if somebody says this water, this uh, glass was filled three months ago, even if I die of thirst, I won't drink that water. Because it's old, stale, anything that becomes, you know, stagnant, loses its, uh, what I should say, its freshness. So there are people, Christians, coming to the church, if you ask them what is their testimony, they will always tell about one time when they had a filling. That's it. Maybe 20 years ago, 50 years ago, I lifted my hands in a 
meeting and accepted the Lord. That's all. And apart from that, they don't have any other experience that makes their life stale. Some people feel coming to the church is monotonous, boring, same message, same songs. They feel life is stagnant. That's because you are not allowed yourself to overflow. Just imagine the same glass at the feet of a shower, running water. It fills, overflows. It fills, overflows. Anytime you take and examine the glass, it may have only 300 milliliters, but it will be fresh as long as it overflows. That's the point in Christian life. If we start giving, receiving from the Lord and giving, wanting to overflow, getting into the service of other people, asking God to be a source of blessing, Lord, let me overflow, I will receive and I will give, receive and give. That is the vocabulary of the kingdom of God. Receive and give. You will become a, not only a source of blessing to so many people, but your own life will be refreshed. Rather than just coming and attending Sunday worship week after week, week after week, and getting monotonous or bored, start overflowing. Decide to do something. Share the message. Get into useful uh, ministry. And see that what you have got from the Lord is being dispensed to other people. Receive and give. Your own life will be sparkling. Every time we come to the Lord, you know, we, we come with a thirst. Lord, fill me so that I can go and share it with other people. That's it. That's how the cup overflows. You know, if the Holy Spirit puts a, puts a desire in our heart, understand the promise of Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that thirst, and drink. But when you go from me, understand, I want you to be a source of living water. Out of your belly should flow rivers of living water. Then only... I can call you a believer. What if the whole world calls us a believers and the Lord refuses to call us? What a pity it is. But Jesus said, Whosoever believeth. Whosoever believeth. No exception. It's not only to pastors, teachers, evangelists. Whosoever believeth on me. He has the potential to become a source of living water. And how do we become? You see, we become source of living water. There's nothing that is inside us. We don't have living water inside. We get it from Him. What we receive from Him only we should give. Not our own philosophies. Not our own ideas. Not our own thoughts. But we should be sources of living water. That means we receive, we get filled, and we, we pass on the same thing. God's message to other people. So only when we are filled, then we can overflow. If you read Psalm 23, it gives us a clue how your cup can overflow. See, the first sentence starts like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In King James Version, it says, He maketh me to lie down in the green pastures. If we repeat that three, four times, 
you will see something strange in that. Sometime back, the Lord brought my attention to that very familiar verse. So many times, we, by heart, he makes me to lie down in the green pastures. But you tell it again and again, you will see something strange there. It says, he makes me to lie down in the green pastures. You see any compulsion there? You see Lord pressing you to be there? You know, if a sheep is brought to green pastures, nobody need to press it, stay there. It can just come, graze and go. Every sheep, especially a hungry sheep, you know, nobody need to press, go and eat. He's waiting, they will just eat. But here is a command. It looks like a compulsion. He makes me to lie down in the green pastures. The green pastures we know. The word of God. If you want to overflow. If your cup has to overflow. Coming to the word of God should not be. What do you call. Once in a time visitation. It's not like five minutes reading the word of God every morning. Or reading on occasions. Or reading on times when we want some advice from the Bible. God says. That's all right if you just want to lead an ordinary Christian life. But if your cup has to overflow, lie down in the green pastures. It's not a hotel, it is your home. It's not a place that you visit or a guest house, but it is your home. It's not that just your mouth touches it, the whole body is there. You lie down in the green pastures. When? If you want to overflow. Make the word of God. Not just a small reading habit. 15 minutes a day. Complete one year. The whole Bible. By reading 20 minutes a day. Not all those schemes. Maybe they are all helpful. But if you want to overflow. Your cup should overflow. Lie down in the green pastures. Don't get away from there. Not just for eating and going. Not just for filling your stomach. Getting every portion of your body, every cell of your body, every action that you take, every decision that you make, base it on the word of God. Once we saturate ourselves with that word of God, then only we will be able to overflow. You can easily identify people who have a close relationship with God if you ask them to pray for five minutes. Only the word of God will come. The way they preach, the way, sorry, the way they pray, or even if you have a conversation for 15 minutes, if they are soaked, saturated, lock, stock, and barrel in the word of God, word of God will come out. And that is what will minister to the people. You know, many times people think ministry is just going and talking to people. Oh, God will comfort you. People who visit dying people in um, cancer units and saying, Oh, brother, God will comfort you. We think we have done a ministry. But what is that to that poor suffering man? When we go back, he will say, You can say that, but I am suffering. But so what we should do? 
when 256 people were on the board on a ship in a Mediterranean Sea. And they were tossed by the wind 14 days and nights. And everyone except one person was talking about death, 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 nothing else. Paul comes on the shore and uh, comes on the dock and says, do not be afraid. What should be the reaction of the people? What are you talking? What are you talking? 14 days, we do not know. We have not seen the sun. It's all dark. We are, our, our ship is breaking our way. Coming to pieces. And you are coming and telling me, do not be afraid. Does it mean anything? But Paul vindicates his statement by saying, the God whom I know and the God whom I worship has sent his messenger yesterday to me and he gave me a promise, the ship will be destroyed but none of your lives will be lost. The Bible says, when they heard that, they became of good cheer. Their fears vanished. See, just in a, in a minute when Paul spoke, things changed. The storm was still there. Ship was still breaking. Everybody was upset. But they became of good cheer. Because it's not just saying, oh, be of good cheer, be of comfort. God will comfort you. But reinforce it with your experience. Even if you talk the same ordinary words to some people, if you are a man filled with the word of God, if you are lying in the green pastures, if you have made it your home, if you have made the word of God as the authentic standard for making every decision in your life, when you speak out, that words will come with power. Just like Paul writing Thessalonians says, our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power. The same words, ordinary words, but coming from a man or a woman who is saturated with the word of God, who has made the word of God their standard, and who has been lying in the word of God, who had made word of God their home, the words that come out will be great encouragement and great blessing to other people. That's what is called by cup overflowing. And you may wonder, why should ever the shepherd compel the sheep to lie down in the green pastures? After all, sheep, they must like the green pastures. Why should he compel? If you ask that question, if I say sheep are afraid of the green pastures, it may look ridiculous, but to an ordinary Christian believer, you show something from the word of God, they are scared. Oh, that's not for me. That's not practical. We cannot do that. They like certain words and they underline it, greening, blueing, reading. Certain passages they won't read at all. Passages of discipleship, they don't just want to even recollect. They don't want even to hear. In fact, they are literally nervous when you show them some words. See, look, this is also in your Bible. They get nervous. Can a sheep be afraid of green pastures? I don't know whether sheep will be afraid. But many Christians are afraid of God's word. They are nervous. You know, the word of God says, it makes you to lie down in the green pastures. And there is a verse that says, he restores your soul. If we are Christians, and if we cannot accept this to be the whole counsel of God, 
and make it our life, our soul will become restless. Actually, in one of the translations in our local vernacular language, the word, he restores my soul, it's written, he cools down my soul. He brings the temperature of my soul to normal. If you go to a hospital with 101 degree Fahrenheit, the first thing a nurse does is put a wet cloth on your head to cool you down. And for some, many Christians, when they open the word of God, they get restless. Some friction. Their soul gets heated up. Oh, this is all for me. Oh, I don't think God will expect me to do that. They will say all that, but at the same time they will feel guilty. I'm not obeying the word of God. Your soul gets into a friction. Soul gets heated up. The only way if your soul has to get rest, cool down, accept this as the word of God. Lord, whether I understand or not, whether I can immediately follow it or not, I believe this is what is your word. Once you have completely assigned yourself to the word of God, you will get a rest in your soul. Otherwise, Christian life will always be a source of friction. You like something, you don't like something. You know, there is a friction and the friction makes brings heat. That's what physics says. Heat is produced by friction. If you don't align yourself with the word of God, your soul gets heated up. But if you lie down in the green pastures, your soul gets rest. Then while God was talking about over, our cup overflowing, when he's talking about the word of God, making us lie down in the green pastures, restoring our soul, suddenly a turn of events come. It is said that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. What relationship has the word being in the word of God to do with walking through the valley of the shadow of death? I see some connection. You know, death means separation. And not a temporary separation, permanent separation. Death always, you know, if some dear ones die, we feel very sorry. If you hear somebody dying on some corner of the world, we may feel sorry, but then we'll forget. But if somebody close to us dies, we remember for days together, months together, we mourn, we are upset. So death is always painful. Separation is always painful. When you lie down in the green pastures, something like death happens. If you start obeying the word of God, a death occurs in your life. At least a process of death occurs in life. You may have to cut permanently something. Maybe your friends. Maybe the books that you read. Maybe the videos that you watch. Maybe the websites that we browse. Maybe the houses that we go on and off. Maybe the business practices that we do. When we read the word of God. When we lie down in the green pastures. You know... You cannot but cut down certain things and permanently cut down something. I tell you, lying down in the green pastures, saturating yourself with the word of God, accepting this is God's counsel, and only this has to be followed, it's not easy. It may be like you passing through the shadows of death. Some of your favorite habits have to go. 
some of your favorite friends have to go. You cannot compromise on that. If you are just on and off coming to the green pastures, you can do that. But if you lie down in the green pastures, you make it part and parcel of your life, your time comes when you have to cut away certain things. Painful. Very painful. And if there are some habits which you enjoyed so much, some stuffs which you used so much and you liked so much, some business practices which gave you so much money, if it has to be cut off, it is painful. It is very painful. That's why I believe God has put that word there. You pass. When you lie down in the green pastures, when you get your souls rested, you may have to pass through the shadow of death. It is shadow because God reminds us something will be lost, permanently lost. And you think, what is there in life? My friends are gone. My business are gone. What is there in life? God says, don't worry. It's only a shadow. You are hurt, I know. You are sorry. But I can lead you through that. I'll bring you to the other end where you will know I have prepared a table for you before your enemies. Whatever you have lost in terms of your friends or money or anything, God is going to show you a place where you have much more in abundance. What you have lost may be friends of bad repute, but what you are going to have is a company of God's people fellowshipping with you, praising with you, praising God with you, and then being of comfort to you when you are in trouble. You know, to get a fellowship of believers who will stand with us in times of duress is a great asset and a privilege for God's children. The world and its passions will all pass away. But when you know, when I have to cut that, God has prepared a table for me before my enemies. So, you go through this process, lie down in the green pastures, fill and saturate yourself with the word of God. Anything you think, God, this is not what I can obey. If it causes a duress to your soul, say, Lord, no, hereafter I'm not going to tell that. I'm going to tell you are correct. I'm going to believe your words. Your soul will be cooled down. You will restore your soul. And then you may be thinking that you have to pass through some difficult times. God says, difficult, understand. Shadow of death, I understand. Permanent separation of something, I understand. But I lead you. I will bring you to the other end. I will bring you to the place where I will show you that I have prepared a table for you. So many people think on the other side, oh, I, if I follow God's word, I will lose all these things. I lose my friends. I lose my business. Go on thinking, 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 standing on the other side. Not allowing God to lead them to the paths of shadows of death, valley of the shadow of death. He says, if, if you pass through the valley of the shadow, you only are passing. You are not settling down there. Anytime you must understand. When you pass through the valley, you are only passing through. God is assuring you, you are only passing through. You are not going to stay there permanently and become a valley of dry bones. No. You are passing through. Because I am holding you. I know the pain you are passing through. But you are only passing through. 
I will take you to the other end where I prepare a table for you before your enemies. Your enemies are the people who doesn't want you to relish that. They want to hold you back there, saying, don't go. Don't cut off these relations. It is darkness. It is painful. You will lose so many things. They are the enemies holding you to the other side. But if you let go of them and catch hold of the hand of God, He take you through the valley of the shadow of death and show you a table prepared for you before your enemies. And then, when you have passed through all these circumstances, with the anointing of God, your cup will overflow. Not only your fill, but your cup will overflow. This is the message that I want to share. The Lord is leading us, lying down in the green pastures, obeying His word. May all look like, you know, painful things sometimes. But believe on Him. He wants one thing to be accomplished in your life. Not just filling you. It is just a peanut job for God. Filling your needs. But He wants to assure you, if only you decide to become an overflowing vessel, my cup runneth over. He that believeth on me shall not perish out of his belly, shall flow rivers of living water. Shall we say to the Lord, Lord, me, a small vessel can overflow, can become a blessing to other people, I can get my fill and share it to others. I am willing to do anything, Lord. Willing to stay in your green pastures. Lie down in your green pastures. Shall we say that? Shall we bow down our head and pray? Eternal Father, we thank you from the depths of your heart that you see us in a different perspective. Not a small glass vessel just to get filled up of our daily needs, but to be a overflowing vessel. If only we realize, however small we may be, even we don't possess any great qualities, if only we stand near you, lie down in the green pastures, accept your discipline, Decide to cut away from all things permanently what the word of the Lord wants us to do and then go along with you and then get anointed with your Holy Spirit. We can become overflowing vessels. What a blessing, Lord. We will speak and people will be healed. We will speak, people will be comforted. We will speak and people will be brought to eternal life what a great privilege that we can have as overflowing vessels. As we have pointed in this morning, continue to impress upon our hearts the need to saturate ourselves with the word of God and with experiences we go as your ministers of flame, overflowing vessels. Lord, I beseech you to bless this church, bless the pastor and all the believers who are gathered here this morning. And as we go back, with the comfort of your words, let your blessing continue to follow us. We give all honor and glory to you. In Jesus' most precious name I ask. Amen.